0: It's August 6, 2014, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first
1: bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we'll cover some local science and tech stories. Then before the break, we'll get an update from a local programming school and learn about a video game event that's coming later this month. And Jason Sewell from the Dev
0: League is here to tell us about an upcoming class, and uh, Jason Lie from Esports Hawaii will tell us about the upcoming Gamer Expo 2014.
1: Finally, we will talk about social entrepreneurship and creating an impact hub here in Honolulu. Of course, we'd love your questions and comments as part of that conversation. So be ready to call in or tweet. But first, the headlines.
0: First-year college students will be able to study Hawaiian medicinal plants and explore opportunities in science, technology, engineering, and math through a new program called Project Olona. The project is being launched at Kapiolani Community College with a $50,000 grant from Kamehameha Schools. Twelve native Hawaiian students will compare plant growth rates between traditional soil and hydroponic systems and engage in hands-on Research to identify active ingredients in plants used in traditional Hawaiian medicine— they will also be able to work alongside experts in the fields of ethnobotany and chemistry.
1: Kamehameha School's officials say the experiences provided by programs like Pro- Project Olona are critical to linking student learning in the classroom to relevant and real world applications. What's unique, they say, is the Hawaiian worldview in which these undergraduate students will conduct their scientific work and inquiry. Through hands on research, Project Olona students will be able to discover, validate, and compare the potential healing properties of these medicinal plants. Program Coordinator Keolani Noah said that the objective is to increase interest and preparedness of Native Hawaiians for STEM-related professions. Noah said
0: in a statement, We are very excited about this innovative collaboration. Project Olona will help students enhance their knowledge about Hawaiian culture and science and help them link traditional Hawaiian practices to contemporary science. KCC Chancellor Leon Richards Also added through this project, Native Hawaiian students will be given the opportunity to find their place and role in the aina, in which they live and relate their cultural knowledge and experience to rigorous scientific investigations. Now, of course, you know, there's been a long, uh, I think, long-term interest in in Native Hawaiian plants because it's probably one of the uh, most, um, uh, I guess, frequent cases of going extinct for, for a lot of Native plants. And of course, the... The uh, medicinal plants are also of interest and Maybe if they can find uh, some of the primary elements, active ingredients, I guess, in native plants, uh, and compare the the soils with the hydroponic systems, that would be kind of interesting.
1: Right. I mean, the announcement one of the objectives was for students to, you know, l- look at new ideas, innovations, and maybe develop a central workforce readiness skills, uh, creating future industries and jobs that may not even exist yet. But certainly, the native Hawaiian worldview, and to be able to tie what would be traditional chemistry and medicine with those traditional practices, I can certainly see the appeal of that. It's a great partnership. I had to look up, like, Olona is a, is a Hawaiian word. And I was like, I wonder what that means. It's not actually a medicinal plant necessarily, mm. but it is a plant that is used to make cord or uh, fishing line or nets. And I think, you know, that certainly applies. Now, I'm going
0: to make a bold prediction here, uh-huh. and I'm going to conclude that they're going to find that there's an, uh, an integral part that the soil plays with the elements that come out of, you know, the the active ingredients in the plant. All right. I'm just I'm just guessing.
1: Well, we'll have to check in with them later this semester then. Astronomers have enlisted observatories atop a Hawaiian volcano to make unprecedented observations of volcanic activity on Io, the innermost of Jupiter's four largest Galilean moons. Io is the only other place in the solar system besides Earth where volcanoes are known to erupt hot lava. During a two-week observation period, three massive volcanic eruptions occurred on the distant moon. As a result, scientists are rethinking their earlier belief that these events were rare. Earlier studies established a frequency of one very large volcanic event on Io every one or two years.
0: Two separate studies focused on volcanoes on Io were accepted for publication in the journal Icarus. They were based on observations made by researchers in California who used the W.M. Keck Observatory and Gemini Observatories atop Mauna Kea on Hawaii Island. Researchers were impressed by the size and intensity of these in- eruptions. Io is also about 2,300 miles across and as a result has relatively low gravity, meaning the large volcanic eruptions create. Uh, an umbrella of debris that reaches high into the space and covers a wide, very uh, large area of the moon's surface.
1: These eruptions on Io were first observed in the 1970s, and they were described as outbursts as they appeared at that time as just brief pulses of light. Study author author Ashley Davies, a volcanologist with NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, has been studying Io since his days as a graduate student. Davies said in a statement, We are using Io as a volcanic laboratory where we can look back into the past of the terrestrial planets to get a better understanding of how these large eruptions took place. This will help us understand the processes that helped shape the surfaces of all all the terrestrial planets, including Earth and the Moon.
0: Now, uh, you know some of the pictures that they were, uh, uh, I guess, uh, made. I guess from Wm Keck and and the Gemini were are pretty impressive. I mean, the sort of the plume looked like it was at, at least a uh, you know half a diameter of the radius planet of the, the planet, itself, right? Yeah. yeah, and and uh, what they were saying was that the 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 plume is is extending about twenty miles into the you know into well, of course, into no space. atmosphere yeah, but into is. space, and uh, evidently it's about a you know covers about a 50 square mile radius and and uh, you got 30 feet of uh, f- 30 feet thickness in the lava.
1: Right. And, you know, again, it was, it's more about the frequency that they were surprised. Mm-hmm. They had two weeks to watch, and they got three eruptions within a 48-hour period. So when they're saying we only saw 13 large eruptions between se- 1978 and 2006, you think it's rare, but maybe it's, m- it's more than that. And it's basically that Io is not directly observed quite as consistently. Mm-hmm. I think this research certainly will have more eyes trained on it going forward. And finally, here's a couple of uh, a few
0: events that we wanted to share with you. Next Tuesday, weather permitting, uh, brings the monthly refresh Hilo event on Hawaii Island. The mostly monthly meetup for web designers and developers takes place in at the uh, Hawaii Tech Exchange on uh, Haili Street. The topic for the August 12th event is coding prototypes for iOS. And for more information, you can go to HITX.co.
1: iOS is also the focus of a pair of meetups happening here in Honolulu. The Organization for the Understanding of Dynamic Languages is hosting an iOS meetup next Wednesday. That's August 13th at the Manoa Innovation Center. Part 1 will cover functional reactive programming, and Part 2 will focus on Swift, the new programming language from Apple. That Part 2 will follow on August 20th. For more information on these events, you can visit meetup.com dynamic
0: And finally, uh, the next day, the High Tech Development Corporation is uh, offering a workshop on social media and the law. Local attorney Ryan Hugh will provide an overview of of what laws apply to social media and their applications in the business setting. That's Thursday, August 21st, also at the Manoa
1: Innovation Center. And for more information, you can go to htdc.org. Now, joining us here in the studio is Jason Sewell from Dev League and he's here to tell us about the recent graduating class and, of course, plans for the next cohort. Welcome back to the show, Jason.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me again. You guys are always so supportive of us, I just want to say thank you for having us on and always Absolutely. spreading the word.
0: And, of course, you know, the, uh, the um, Dev League is, is um, uh, your organization, and you take in uh, students, cohorts, and they basically go through, a, what, an a eight-week, 12-week
2: uh, so our full-time program is 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we call it a boot camp. So um, really people come in and, and devote their full-time effort into basically we're training them to professionally go into the field and get jobs as as web developers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we also have a, a part-time session that we're currently uh in in the middle of our first one, or two months in, so we're a third of the way through the course, so uh, a lot of people that came to us really couldn't do the full-time, kind of needed an alternate arrangement, and um, of course we want to, you know, be as accommodating as as we can, so Mm -hmm. our primary class is the full-time boot camp, and and that's three months, so you kind of get to where you want to go much faster, and and, um, it's pretty intense, and then um, but we do have the part-time one as well. So,
1: so I think I mentioned the last time you were on that I have I personally think that I want to learn to be a programmer. I've I've bought books. I've I've watched online tutorials. I started a study group that lasted about three weeks before petering out, and even myself losing the uh, the the diligence really to keep up with it. So the idea of Dev League is it's intensive to some extent, but you can go from zero to programmer out the other end and have basically a guarantee that. That that you will have those skills and that you'll have employable, marketable skills. And I think you had a pretty good milestone with your very first set of students. How did it turn out for them?
2: Yeah. So uh, so we finished up our first cohort at uh, at the end of April, and um, within three months, uh, all all of the graduating class had had gone and gotten hired professionally as web developers, um, both locally and on the mainland. Mm-hmm. So um, so we kind of got them in. They were they were our early adopters and the ones that kind of put our faith in, in or put their faith in us. And now they're you know they're out and actively employed. You know, uh, as programmers, and that's, that's great. many of them coming in with with no background at all. So, um.
0: so we we're, um, were you guys in any way, let's say, helpful with them uh, seeking out? the appropriate places to work?
2: Yeah, so we, we do as much as we can. So uh, the classroom is our main product. Um, kind of the the other part of that is also helping them um, on the way out. So we have what's called employer network. Mm-hmm. We're always going out and kind of uh, talking to new companies, finding out really at a technical level what, what their requirements are and what kind of the people they're looking for, what skills they're looking for. And if we can find matches there, they're obviously already interested um, in people with those skills. And then at that point we put them in a position and, and they still have to kind of sell their themselves and, and kind of make it through the process, but mm-hmm. we help out as much as we can. Mm-hmm. So you're not
1: necessarily looking for the hobbyist. You're basically someone's coming in, maybe they're a librarian or a barista, but they say, at the other end of this, I want to be a programmer and working as a programmer. That's their objective. And, and it sounds like they succeeded. Can you name, is it a secret? Can you name any of the companies that picked up these students who came out of Dev uh,
2: No. So yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, three of the three of the students stayed locally. Uh, one of them, we actually hired from Dev League, um, So he he just was so great at kind of picking up the material and, and his personality <laughs> that we brought him on as a TA. And he's been he's been involved in the part-time class, and he's great, and he's helping us out tremendously. Um, Pseudo Crew locally was uh, another hire. Ideas Health, uh, a local health startup, also was another hire. And then uh, the two candidates, one went to Nashville on the mainland and got hired at Thetis Corp. And another one is in LA working for a company called Internet Brands.
1: Now I know this is probably uh, widely ranging, but if you say someone is working as a programmer, what are they looking at? Widely ranging in terms of what that salary might be is 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 there any range that is safe to say?
2: Um, Locally, starting salaries are probably around the forty to fifty range, and um, I mean if if you go to the Bay, it's it's like sixty, seventy, eighty potentially, and then kind of across the rest of the mainland, it's somewhere somewhere in between there. So. But um, we just saw a company called Course Report just put out a survey this week um, and had had interviewed and kind of gathered stats from boot camps across the nation. And on average, 44% uh, or people coming out of boot camps are getting – hired at 44% higher salaries on average than they were making before going in. So, so I'm,
0: I'm kind of curious, in terms of demand, are you seeing a lot of uh, local companies express demand in, in web developers and programmers? And, and I'm kind of curious also for the guys that actually went to the mainland, were they really more interested in actually working on the mainland and getting that experience?
2: Um, yeah. So um, we locally, we're actually getting a lot more demand, I think, than you kind of Hear or see about in job postings and and we have companies that are coming to us actually you know now that they know what we're doing and specifically what we're teaching they're very interested. Um, and so I, even Data House which is you know one of the biggest I IT Data staffers House. in in Hawaii, has come to us and really you know they're trying to move forward with the with the, you know the technical direction that we're teaching. And so they were very interested. And, and even to local startups. So yeah, we're getting a lot of interest of people coming to us. And then on the mainland, um, one of one of the guys was local guy that came from Molokai, moved to Oahu, and now he's in LA. So I don't think he's there <laughs> permanently, but he went to go soak up some experience. It's a sure. great story, um, obviously coming from you know, pretty humble, small-town beginnings to to working as a programmer in L.A. Like, that's pretty... That's pretty nuts. So, so I know these so,
1: come around when uh, you have the the students the right mix, the right timing. If somebody was interested in the Dev League League program, how can they get more information?
2: Uh they can come contact contact us at devleague.com, uh contact at DevLeague.com. dot com. We're on Twitter at DevLeague Hawaii and Facebook at, at Dev League. So any interest at all, please contact us. We we want to talk to everybody and accommodate as many people as we can and we have scholarships available.
0: Sounds good. Thanks Jason for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys. And of course, now joining us is another
3: Jason. Jason mm-hmm.
0: live from Esports Hawaii, and he's here to tell us about the upcoming Gamer Expo 2014. Welcome to the show, Jason.
3: Hello. Thank you for having me here uh, from Esports Hawaii to promote the Gamer Expo.
0: So, tell us: uh, is a uh, gamer the uh, Gamer Expo? Is this the sort of the first one, or uh, has it been something that has been tried before? Or is this the first one?
3: Um, for us, it's we think it's one of the first. Uh, well, we're trying to make it a, as large as we can, um, but being as it is our first one, we're doing it. Um, we're trying to start like at a medium scale, mm-hmm. and hopefully we'll grow it to even larger, maybe even to like um, those conventions up in the mainland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: you're saying it's Gamer Expo. Gamer can encompass a lot of things. Um, what would be the, the heart of this event, the type of game or gamer that you're hoping to serve with this event?
3: Um, for our event, we're focused mainly on video games. So most of it, we have all our different consoles. We have the uh, PC, PS3, the Xbox One, the Wii U. We also have a retro game section for our older consoles. So the older generation can also enjoy that as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And then, are
0: you demonstrating uh, the hardware or primarily the software that's, gonna, that's running on a lot of these, uh, these devices?
3: Um we're actually just promoting the fun of of just video games. We want to just um bring esports into Hawaii, make it more a larger scene in mm-hmm. Hawaii mm-hmm. so more people will get into gaming.
1: Well, one of the things in gaming that uh, we see periodically, but I would say not at a at a very large level is of course professional gaming. I mean, people who game competitively to the point where they become a regional champion, go on to a national championship, go on to international championship. I mean, my brother Geeky as he was, he was a he was a national champion at Magic, the card <laughs> game. So, yeah, wow. uh, is this is sort of that that competitive side of it one of the things that you're going to be talking about?
3: Definitely. We're going to have a competitive a competitive side at our Gamer Expo. We'll be featuring uh, lots of gaming tournaments. Uh, we'll have League of Legends tournaments. We're actually bringing down a gaming team called Curse Academy from League of Legends. So um, people can meet and greet with them and see them play. Uh, we're actually um, bringing down tabletop ter- tournaments as well. So uh, there's going to be probably magic tournaments. Um, so that's going to be uh, hosted by Toy Links.
0: Mm-hmm. And then what other uh, other types of titles are you guys... Uh, Planning to have have maybe teams come in and play.
3: Uh, we're definitely going to have like Madden, uh, Halo Four, Call of Duty Ghost, um BlazBlue, Blue, um, League of Legends two v two tournaments. Um, we're just we're Super Smash Bros Melee and <laughs> brawl. That's definitely very popular. Minecraft, Minecraft. Where right now it's it might be a small thing, but we're hoping to bring on. More of a Minecraft scene into our gamer expo. Well, this
1: other Jason does, I think, Minecraft pro- Minecraft programming classes. So you should at least be down there holding up a Minecraft <laughs> head of some kind.
3: Yes. Yeah. What about
0: War uh, War of War, War <laughs> World of Warcraft?
3: Yeah. Um, it won't be um, featured too much, mostly because we're more featured on, um, I guess, multiplayer, so more people can play as well. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. Tournament style. Uh, we will have uh, things from Blizzard such as Hearthstone and uh, StarCraft 2. Mm-hmm. So as an expo, I can imagine certainly there's going to be gaming happening, but uh, are there
1: presentations, speakers? Is there going to be uh, booths where people are selling things? How, what is the layout going to be?
3: Uh, yeah, we're going to have um, speakers. We're going to have Curse Academy, like I said. We're also going to have TriHex, which is a speed gamer. So that's like a gamer that tries to finish his games as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also going to have like uh, cosplay judges. Um, so there will be Uh, cosplay um, contest and we'll have like a judge and uh, probably like a live panel there we're also gonna have like lots of booths there Um, our sponsors uh, such as TNC Best Buy um, maybe Yelp um, and we're just uh, just some of those things so kind of give us
0: uh, where when how much I mean how do people attend this if they if they're interested
3: if you guys are interested, just check out GamerexpoHigh.com dot mm-hmm. um, for more information. You guys can also check our Facebook at uh, Gamer Expo High and also our Instagram. Uh, we'll be selling lots of different tickets. Uh, we'll be having uh, regular general tickets, uh, VIP tickets, uh, one for the live panels, one for the tournament area. Uh, we're actually going to have casino night at our Gamer Expo. So anyone that has like the urge to like going to Vegas, they can come to our expo and just play some games. Um, we're gonna have, um, uh, we're gonna have some, it's not gambling, but we're gonna have, uh, we're bringing down a casino night area for us to play. So if you guys are interested, just and come on what, down. What,
0: uh, what night is this? Or what day is this?
3: This is gonna be, uh, next week, August 16th, Saturday.
0: Okay, yeah. sounds good, fantastic. Thanks, Thanks Jason. Thank Thanks, you, Jason's. Well, thanks uh, both Jasons for joining us, and that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Shauna Trevana. Brandon
1: Nesqu and Matt Johnson to talk about social entrepreneurship and impact hubs. What is a social entrepreneur and how do they differ from any other type of entrepreneur? <laughs> and of course, the impact hub is coming, but what does that mean for Honolulu? Of course, we'd love your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation. You can give us a call at 941 or toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689.
0: And of course, we're live in the studio. You can tweet us at BiteMarks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
4: The bill may be languishing in the Honolulu City Council, but the Surfrider Foundation is trying to make waves. Next on The Conversation, we'll talk with Hawaii coordinator Stuart Coleman about the efforts to move the ban on foam containers forward. We'll talk tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation.
2: Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists,
1: and creative artists.
4: Hi, I'm Kristen Moeller, author of What Are You Waiting For? Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about our pervasive human tendency to look outside ourselves for answers.
5: Sunday morning at 11.
0: Welcome back to Bite Marsh Cafe. I'm Bert Lom. And I'm Ran Ozawa. And joining us today is Shauna Trevana and Brandon Askew and Matt Johnson. Shauna is the owner of Smart Sustainability Consulting LLC and on the board at Sustainability Association of Hawaii and the author of a book called Surfing
1: Tsunamis of Change, a handbook of. For change agents. Brandon, meanwhile, is the founder of Eat the Street and Night Market in Kaka'ako. And uh, Matt Johnson uh, founded Oahu Fresh, a community supported agriculture box delivery service, and of course is creating a food hub in Kaka'ako. And what changes do we face
0: and do we need to approach businesses in a different way? We'd love to hear your questions and comments. And, of course, that number to call is 941 on Oahu or 877 941 from the neighbor islands. Shauna, Brandon, and Matt, we want to welcome you, welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank how you.
5: How
6: are
0: you guys doing? Nice. Yeah, great. So uh, I want to, you know, I don't know if I give justice to your backgrounds, but maybe, Shauna, maybe you can give us a little bit more about how you got involved with this whole area of sustainability and, and sort of the uh, social entrepreneurship
4: sure i've always been passionate about change and i I actually came to hawaii because i believed hawaii could be food and energy independent in our lifetime Mm -hmm. and if we succeeded in doing that then the whole world would know and maybe use that as a model and example and i started a sustainability movement at the university about eight or nine years ago um, where we had a huge group of students ironically called the hub which stood for help us bridge uh, create all sorts of of meaningful projects that showed that energy water waste savings were really possible in every single building in Mm hawaii and eventually i Created a sustainability consulting firm doing that work for the U.S. Coast Guard, the Department of Defense, the Department of Education, and lots of campuses and businesses across the state. And basically, what we do is we have the employees or the occupants or the students do energy and waste and water audits themselves, so they learn how to use their buildings more intelligently. Mm-hmm. And
0: so, Sustainability Saunders was that your was that your project? <laughs> yes, it was. Good I memory. That. Good yes. memory. Yeah. yeah. In fact, you know, I think back <laughs> then we were actually trying to get some of the people on mm-hmm. the show to talk about the, the, the results. I An mean, example of measuring. one building. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, we had great
4: results. Then we had $150,000 of annual savings at no cost just by doing things a little bit differently. So Wow, that's great.
0: Well, glad to have you on the show. Thanks for having me
3: here. <laughs> now,
1: Matt, uh, tell us a little bit about a little bit about Oahu Fresh. It's a CSA uh, box delivery service. I've heard of them, and I think my cool friends are subscribers to a similar service. But for those who are not familiar with it, I mean, what, what is it that you bring to the community?
5: Well, you have the opportunity to be cool as well. So, All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I started Oahu Fresh with a partner of mine about five years ago, and it came out, out of a network of farmers that we've been working with. We have experience working with local farms in Hawaii, helping them access markets, access uh, federal grants, things like that. So we kind of came up with the idea of trying to make it as easy as possible uh, for people to take advantage of the really fresh local produce that's available from some of these amazing farmers that we've been working with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we came up with the idea with Wahoo Fresh on delivering uh, weekly boxes of all local produce to people's homes, offices, as well as drop points. Uh, such as Fresh Cafe in Kaka'ako. We also do a drop at Leeward Community College in Pearl City. Um, So that's really our goal, is just to make it as easy as possible for people to access uh, local produce, as well as creating another market for our local farmers. Mm -hmm. And one of the
1: issues with the box is that you you get a mix. You get what's available, what's seasonal, rather than maybe going to the supermarket and wondering why one thing is there and something's not there, something's more expensive, something's less expensive. You kind of get more in tune with the Aina, with what's, what's what's provided
5: from nature and and either have it at your house and go pick it up. Yeah, that's correct. So, like, for example, last week we had tarot in the bag. And so we immediately start getting some feedback from some people maybe who are transplants from the mainland who aren't familiar with it. But that's part of what we're trying to do is expose our subscribers to, hey, this is what's being locally grown. So it's kind of that like give-take on you know the the consumer needs to be a little bit adventurous with trying some new things, and we put up recipe recommendations and and try to make it you know as as easy and fun for for them as possible to try mm-hmm. these things out, creating more lovers of tarot. I like that. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, and Brandon, you know, we've uh, had you uh, here talking about eat the street, and uh, I think that's been become one of the more popular brands uh, across the entire. Island, if not state. And uh, I wanted to give you a chance to tell us a little bit about uh, your role in this sort of uh, social entrepreneur ecosystem.
6: Well, as you might know, Pony, my wife and I started Street Grinds back in 2010. Mm-hmm. And the first Eat the Street came along in January of 2011. And we got this de- very show. <laughs> we've been doing that every <laughs> month, um, ever since then. Yeah, uh, But also we've created other opportunities for the mobile food industry like Honolulu Night Market as well as um, catering and events that help them find transactions. That's our, that's our main mission is to support the mobile food industry.
0: So, so um, you know, not only, I guess, creating these community events like, uh, like Eat the Street, but when you say mobile food, when people are driving around their trucks, they, they need, I, I guess you felt that there, there's a need for other opportunities that could have their food presented Uh, in in other kinds of communities?
6: That's correct. I mean, using social media as a tool Mm -hmm. uh, and raising awareness for all the vendors that are out there to the rest of the Hawaii community, I think plays a pretty big role in them getting found as an option. To other ways of, of eating with fast food or other restaurants.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. We're talking to Shanna Trevena, Brandon Askew, and Matt Johnson about social entrepreneurship and the pending impact hub coming to Honolulu. Of course, if you've got a question about any of their projects or uh, how entrepreneurs can be more supportive of their communities, you can give us a call at 941 3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877 941 We're also watching on Twitter. Now, Shanna, we've talked, we've said social entrepreneurship and I think we have an understanding of what that is. There was recently a widely cited article that basically said, you know, all these startups are creating meaningless things. There's apps to make birds flap their wings or to deliver your laundry for your dog or, you know, why aren't we solving the big problems, you know? And I think that although that might be what's happening in some bubble-like communities, we are seeing a strong representation of social entrepreneurs who really are trying to make the world a better place. I mean, how would you define this space that you're in?
4: Sure. I would say using business for good. Um, that the more that you do what your business does, the better the world gets, and usually people and the planet get you know have improvements um, so and I think it includes employees and it includes your market and collaboration over competition, um trying to operate like an ecosystem more organically working together and having outcomes that make things better
0: mm-hmm. so you know we kind of uh asked the question, how does a social entrepreneur perhaps differ from? an entrepreneur. Is your is your goal to try to maybe convert all the entrepreneurs <laughs> to become more socially conscious?
4: I think that they're in every single job and every single role. And if you're an employee, if you're running your own company, there is an opportunity to find a way to do what you do in a way that makes things better for the people around you at the very least. And it could actually solve a really big problem. So I think there's a full range of how you can use what you do to do good things.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, Matt, how would you measure that success? Because uh, running through my head is the Weirdo Yankovic song about mission statement. And anybody re- creating a business is convinced that they're making the world a better place. They've got synergies and, and community, and that's all great buzzwords. But how would you say uh, this is a successful social enterprise? What would you look at in terms of, uh, of quantifiable things to say this is successful in that way?
5: Well, I think it's definitely going to be a case by case study, and it comes down to the personal values. Um, that you have going into it. So obviously any business that's going into business needs to be able to make money. Um, but it's also um, having more of a, uh, I guess, larger view on what your goals are. So I know for us, what we're trying to do with Oahu Fresh um, is you know, supporting local agriculture. So if we were bringing in, say, produce from the mainland, then then we're failing mm-hmm. at our mission, even though we might be making money. So that's just kind of like a one- um, personal example. I like that. So, in this, to some extent, there might
1: be a trade-off or a, a sacrifice that you might make on the cold business side of the equation because you will stick to your principles and the right thing—the uh, right thing to do. We're back, and we're back live. We so, just have to take a, a momentary break for uh, a weather natural, advisory. Uh, so, sorry, Matt, uh, we were talking about uh, that one of the things that you might do as a social entrepreneur is you will perhaps have a sacrifice for the greater good. Um, but I am kind of, again, curious about uh, the math of it. You know, How would you say that this is successful in that way?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it comes down to some of the specifics on, like for us, a big part of it is, is how much money is actually going back into um, the local agriculture community, um, so that 's a big part if If the farms that we work with aren 't making money as well, then there 's really no point for us to be doing what we 're doing mm-hmm. um, so that 's a big part of how how we measure our success in that matter where at the end of the year, we can look back and see specifically how much money went right back into the local ag community mm-hmm. so for us that 's a you know a number, a very specific quantifiable number that we look at. And that's something that all businesses can be doing when they're identifying part of their their value system is other than just making money for themselves, what are these other goals that they're trying to accomplish?
1: In terms of uh, accountability or transparency, is that something that you include in your uh, outreach to say that in the last year that this much for example has enriched the agricultural community is i mean you if you do find that as a success i would imagine that would be part of your message
5: yeah that's something that we like to communicate with our subscribers and that's where we try to include them as part of this community that we're trying to create so it's not just providing them with local produce but also providing them with information uh, events uh, other happenings other things going on around the local Ag community, and so that's something that we want them to feel that they're part of. That you know they're not just you know at the end of the line receiving the produce, but mm-hmm. they're part of the whole system.
0: So, so um, YoShana, I saw you at a, a panel recently about uh, social entrepreneurship and and particularly about uh, investing in in this sector, mm-hmm. sort of I- investing in uh, Im- impact um, startups. Uh, what is what is your overall sort of assessment of the you know the uh, ecosystem and are there are there enough of the investment community interested in mm-hmm. supporting uh, this kind of startup uh, startup environment?
4: Sure. Well, well first I'll say the companies like Matt, they actually have bottom line benefits to these community services and interactions. Mm-hmm. It results in a unique market share. It results in customer loyalty. Um, companies like Matt's across the country um, were 65% more likely to survive the recession due to those reasons. Mm. So it actually translates into a business um, a business case for sustainability and social entrepreneurship. Um, the, in terms of the investors, investors want less risk <laughs> and they want returns. And when a company operates that way, they actually benefit the bottom line in other ways too. They replace, uh, they attract and retain the best talent and employees. They create innovation. Everyone's really powerful passionate about their job because they're aligned with the mission and the values of their heart, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're really into what they're doing. All of these result in a company that's going to hold together over the brumps, you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so that's, that's an attractive investment. Um, and also statistically 10% of all the investments in the U.S. are in the impact investing ecosystem, and that's significant. So I think there is a trend that's going to increase that number, and there's definitely a fire in Hawaii about that right now. You know, one
0: of the things that I, I am curious about is that Normally when we think of uh you know investors and we talk about some of the startups and and the commercial enterprises that they're uh, endeavoring the the investors are always looking at some return on that investment mm-hmm. and some you know like liquidity event that they can then get their money out uh i'm 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 kind of curious to hear your perhaps a description of the companies and whether in in the case of venture capital, they want companies to perhaps go IPO or go go and you know get a merger or whatever. But in in the impact uh, uh, ecosystem, aren't aren't you talking about smaller businesses and maybe businesses that are really tied to the community and and rather than being something that could scale across the entire nation, would be more local to Hawaii? And would investors then be still interested in trying to invest and somehow? I don't know, how would they get their money out or how would they get their return on that investment?
4: Mm-hmm. Everything that you just said happens within the impact investing sphere, so it's actually not that different. In that they do get double digit returns often, and they are still looking for those companies that are going to scale. Mm-hmm. So they're not mutually exclusive spheres, but they have that added layer of are the values aligned with something that the community wants, and that's actually again a benefit for the longevity of that company. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've heard of B Corp, which is yep. cert- yeah, so it's an international gold standard certification for businesses, and it was actually created so you put in your operating agreement of your business um, the articles of incorporation that you will treat the environment and your community and employees as shareholders and stakeholders that you need to serve all of these simultaneously and again that always translates into a better bottom line Mm -hmm. very very often Um, so that becomes more attractive and that whole ecosystem grows and grows
1: we're talking to shanna trevena of March Sustainability Consulting, LLC, as well as Brandon Askew from Street Grinds and Matt Johnson from Oahu Fresh about social entrepreneurship and making a community better through uh, startups and, of course, the Impact Hub, which we'll get to very soon. If you've got a question for our guests or a comment about uh, social entrepreneurship, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor, 877-941-3689. So, Brandon, you know, we were talking about uh, how an enterprise supports a larger ecosystem. Um, I'm not as familiar with uh, the the broader plan. I mean, for Street Grinds, you and Pony was pretty bootstrapped, something that you uh, brought up and that's right. uh, made happen on your own. Is there still a, a, a perspective from your point of view to say that if there is investment available, if there is uh, a way to kind of ma- follow a more
6: traditional startup path, that that's something you're interested in? Definitely. Um, recently, we've started seeking investment as we plan to grow Street Grinds into a larger organization to serve the community. Uh, one of those ways that we're looking to do that is through the Street Grinds Institute, where pro- we, we're going to provide capacity building opportunities for the mobile food vendors mm-hmm. through um, education in um, health and safety, through business education, and social media as well. So all those tools can be applied to help them grow their businesses.
0: You know, the, you've really taken the the sort of uh, street grinds and eat the street and really looked at the entire sort of ecosystem. That's really great. I'm kind of curious, uh, Shana, how how did the three of you kind of come together and start to brainstorm this idea of the impact hub?
4: I know I came to Impact Hub because of what my business needs were. So I have two to 10 staff depending on our contracts and flow. And half of what we do is out in the field. And then we need meeting rooms. And then we need different types of meeting rooms. Um, So we didn't have that flexible space. And Mm -hmm. someone suggested Impact Hub to me. And I was going to a conference for San Francisco. And I strolled in. And I thought, this is amazing. It's like a community center for change makers. Mm -hmm. And every conversation I had was just really hit the mark of something I was curious about. And the the contacts I made, I could not have made at a Starbucks or something in San Francisco. Um, so I just thought, you know, our ecosystem in Hawaii really needs one of these and I would definitely be one of the first members. So I came back and found out that um, that Shanoa Farnsworth from Blue Startups, and she was part of the Hawaii Angels uh, Network, um, that she and the investment community felt the same way. Mm. And so the two of us co-founded and, you know, sent in our paperwork and everything, but then we started um, reaching out for a team and, and we found out that there was a lot of people interested. So now, a year later, we have about Forty people on our planning team and lots of different working groups making this all come together. That's that's, that's my story.
0: Wow, that's uh, that's cool. Because uh, I think in in a sense, I mean, am I correct in saying that the, the impact hub is is sort of like a kind of a co working space for sort of the social entrepreneur
4: that's perfectly said mm-hmm. and, and community center as well in that there is a lot of programming so there's um trainings workshops powhana's, networking opportunities everything that would provide the support that an entrepreneur and startup would need um, so I,
0: you know what i want to do is i want to delve into that because i'm, I'm kind of curious like when is this going to start and where's <laughs> this going to take place and so we'll hold that thought we'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with shana trevana and Brandon SQ, and uh, Matt Johnson about creating the impact hub and investing in social entrepreneurs.
1: How will investors measure their return on investment when businesses build a social conscious? We'd, of course, love to hear from you as well. The number is 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, it's toll free 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
6: The New York Times calls her one of the jazz world's finest, and HPR is thrilled to welcome back to the Atherton Studio vocalist and pianist Karin Allison for her only Honolulu appearance this year. Join us for a sophisticated evening of bossa nova, ballads, blues, and beyond. Tickets remain for Friday, August 15th at 7.30. Reserve your seats at 955-8821 or purchase online at hprtickets.org.
1: It's a
0: picture of that 57
1: Chevrolet. The author of a new novel has tracked down the
5: 13 previous owners of a 1957 Chevrolet Townsman wagon, but the real star is the 57 Chevrolet itself.
6: A station wagon signaled that you were part of the suburban good life. It was an emblem of easy living.
1: I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason, Thursday evenings at 630 on Hawaii Public Radio. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozal, and we're talking to Shanna Trivena, Brandon Askew, and Matt Johnson about building socially conscious business. And how do companies stay competitive
0: while focusing on the social good? And, of course, you can give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And of course, right before the break, we we're talking about Impact Hubs, and we want to get a little bit more detail as to uh, when is this uh, happening. I mean, uh, uh, Shana, you said that Shino uh, Fonsworth is part of the part of the uh, uh, founder founder team, and and of course, uh, Matt and Brandon are part of the the I guess the organizers that are trying to pull this together. Give us an idea as to timeline. I mean, when is mm-hmm. this when is this kind of taking place, and where do you think of locating this?
4: Sure. So we've, we're actually opening what's called Proto Hub mm-hmm. for one year. So at a temporary location, 458 Kave Street, right in our, our Kaka'ako, mm-hmm. um, we're opening for one year on September 15th is our opening day. Oh. Yeah. And so for the last two weeks of September, we're actually having it open to anyone that wants to come and use the space, check out the programs, meet the community, interact in any way that works for them, and then we'll start membership in October. Um, and then next year we're going to move over to the HCDA office with they move out which is on cook street and that space is going to be two to three times the size so our goal with proto hub is to try all sorts of programs see what works see what people need and want what types of rooms they want etc so that when we move to the big space and open impact hub honolulu Mm -hmm. we take all we learned from proto hub and we make it amazing
1: wow now one of the things that uh, you compared it to is like a co-working space for social entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and certainly we've we've had quite a lot of discussion on the show about co-working spaces at one point having three or even four running concurrently in Honolulu, many in Kaka'aka. Um, Brandon, you're no stranger to that concept. I've, I know I've seen you at, for example, Greenhouse when it was in operation, for That's example. Um, so what is it about the Impact Hub brand or model or idea that you found so compelling
6: to get directly involved? Well, for me, the Impact Hub is not just an opportunity for local entrepreneurs and local co-working. But it's also an international location mm-hmm. to share your ideas and, and grow your business. So that's one of the attractive points to me. But also, to being able to be a part of the Impact Hub from the ground up is a very interesting um, goal for mine as well.
4: I should just add, actually, there's 50 Impact Hubs in major cities around the globe on all continents. That's what Brendan's speaking to. It attracts capital and talent from those areas, and mm-hmm. it allows us to scale into those regions through the Impact Hub network.
0: So I was going to ask, since uh, Shanoa is involved and having, you know, I guess uh, maybe three, four cohorts already behind uh, her belt on uh, blue startups, do you see perhaps Impact Hub adopting any of the kind of mentoring uh, program that, that uh, Blue Startup uh, might have uh, sort of pioneered here in Hawaii?
4: Sure. We're lucky to have Shanoa from Blue Startups and Don LePert from the Energy Accelerator on our mm-hmm, planning team, mm-hmm. and we're constantly talking about this and what's the best way to bridge all of these programs because th- there's like this bursting ecosystem and there are some major players in it. And, it, of course, having the, the Impact Hub would be a great place to have their companies come and you know, re- engage in the programs and also perhaps use the co-working and maybe incubate further.
0: Do you, um, I, of course, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, have you explored the option of getting uh, uh, some of the uh, accelerator funds that uh, Carl Fuchs has put forth? You know, through the uh, through the LAVA program. Not quite yet, actually, quite. but it's
4: been it's been recommended to me many times. So I'm sure that conversation is coming. So I'll see you soon, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> now, how about you, Matt?
1: Um, you know, it sounds like you. Just like Brandon, you have a specific idea. You found success, traction, loyal um, customers, as well as participating vendors, and uh, you could continue to strike out on your own, but you see the value of being part of an ecosystem. What does Impact Hub uh, mean to
5: you in terms of helping you do what you do better? Yeah, I think it's most importantly and what I'm most attracted to is it just expands our our network and our team of, of potential partners. Wahoo Fresh right now is really just uh, myself and a partner. And yeah, we're doing what we do and we do it well. But by being able to connect with other organizations, other entrepreneurs, um, all the way to uh, government officials and whoever else is going to be attracted to this hub, um, that to me is what is most attractive, where I know that when this is up and going and um, I can walk in there at any time, and whether it's for a meeting or to work, that there's going to be a deliberate um, intentional meeting of like minded people that 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 we may be able to help with what they're doing, but then also may be beneficial for some of the goals that we have as well
0: mm-hmm. now um, I'm sure you are uh, familiar with uh, I think uh, Hawaii Community Foundation had a uh, a fund called the innovation Fund and or island innovation fund and and a lot of the companies that were going through that sort of funding cycle would probably qualify for being a part of the impact hub. I mean, do you think that's that's something that would be a, a good match? Absolutely.
4: I actually have meetings set up on the regular with organizations like that all over Hawaii. We're reaching out. Jason Jason Sewell, who you just had on Mm -hmm, here, we've mm -hmm. been trying to connect for the same reason. We see so many entities in this ecosystem and it's just sitting down face-to-face, one-on-one, talk story. This is what we're envisioning, what you got going on, where does it match up, what can we do? Super flexible, super collaborative. Let's make something amazing happen that couldn't happen without us existing.
0: Wow, that's cool. So you know when um, when you started to develop this sort of sustainability ecosystem the community that started, you know, eight years ago at the uh, Saunders Hall, uh, how, how did I mean? Did people sort of just naturally, organically, kind of come together? Was it was it all a, the the energy that you kind of put in, the passion that you <laughs> demonstrated? I mean, I, I noticed that even on the um, uh, there's a uh, a couple of mailing lists and a Google group, and it's it's a very active active group, mm-hmm. and it sort of spans a lot of different organizations.
4: Absolutely. I think the Impact Hub is a movement that's a magnet. And actually, Brandon and I met because he called the headquarters in Vienna and asked mm-hmm. if there was going to be one in Hawaii, and they put him in touch with me. Okay. And same with a couple other people on our team. So we didn't have any connection beforehand. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we met, we realized we had a really deep connection. And I just think there's a lot of people that feel that way. They want this type of center for all the reasons that have been discussed. So.
1: Well, Brandon, I love that you had that initiative and you reached <laughs> all the way across international lines to say, hey, you know, this is something that we could use here. In Honolulu. I know Bert does exactly the same for the things that he's Spanish passionate about. Um, but again, you know, at one point we had several co working spaces. Now we're down to maybe one, uh, two, uh, broadly speaking. And so people might question if, there's, uh, if there is that demand, if there is that interest or. or Maybe they weren't meeting a specific uh, need of the community. Uh, Maybe I can ask you what you think is the differentiating factor that despite the fact that maybe you could go to fish cake or you could go to uh, another place or just Starbucks, as Trevenna said, you know, what was it that took you all the way to
6: Vienna to say this is a model that I really want? Well, after doing a little bit of research, what I did love most about the hub was the inclusion of the whole community. And, you know, at Street Grinds, you know, that's what we're about is working with community. So I believe that's one of the things that many co-working spaces have, but I love that the community for the hub was a global community.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, when you said you called Vienna, you're talking about <laughs> Vienna, like uh, um, California, or? <laughs> no,
6: actually one of the, one of our mentors was, is, is actually part of the global hub uh, network. Oh, I see. And he's from Vienna. So once I learned a little bit about from him and did more research, it just, you know, said I had to find out if this was coming to Hawaii and if not, then how can we make one here?
1: You mentioned the uh, the Street Grinds Institute and some of the skills that you wanted to pass on. So I would imagine that part of the programming at the up and coming Impact Hub will have Brandon Askew as a instructor or session leader. Um, I would what,
6: love to be there for that.
1: Well what would you say would be the the, the particular things that you would be able to, to serve in that capacity
6: uh, definitely I mean I believe that we 're going to be able to share with our with our community uh, me specifically any type of training when it comes to web development or how to use the, the street grinds tools that we 're creating for the community, for instance our, our portal that we 've created that all the vendors come through mm-hmm. to find events that they can participate in mm-hmm.
0: now Matt, uh, you know in terms of uh, oahu fresh uh, you 're in touch with a lot of the Farmers and and, uh, uh, folks that are are growing sort of the the produce, do you see them as well in some way participating in the Impact Hub? I mean, because the the whole organic farming scene is, is I think, one that could perhaps explode. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity here.
5: Yeah, I think there's definitely potential to bring in that community, kind of like what uh, Brandon was saying, Um, and it could be all the way from you know, actually having a space in there themselves, or just kind of tying in on specific events. Whether and we were just talking earlier today about you know a, a farm to table type event that could be associated with uh, with the hub, mm-hmm. but also could be um, doing basic education or a talk story on some of the agricultural issues in Hawaii. That's uh, the hub could be a venue for that kind of conversation. Um, but also could be a drop point for the farmers to bring in their product or CSA bags like Oahu Fresh to come in and drop off their bags. And also could be a way to take the community from the hub actually out to the farms. Um, so doing events kind of the opposite direction and taking them out and actually seeing firsthand um, what the farms are doing. mm mm-hmm. um, so you know, a lot of this is, is there's so much potential, and and we've we're going over a list of at least fifty different events that we can kind of start programming uh, with the next three to four months, and it's very exciting that you know anything is really possible. It just depends on what's the interest of the
6: group.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so Shanna, I'm kind of curious about uh, the logistics of it. You mentioned that there's a proto-hub proto, proto hub, mm-hmm. um, for now, and then the grander plan is a larger facility with more dedicated space as it becomes available in Kaka'ako. Um, and you said people can come by and such, but I, I'm personally curious. I would come by. So mm-hmm. um, what would be the experience of somebody uh, who comes right now to see what you're building and what's coming together and what could they contribute by walking through the door?
4: Sure. The perfect window for people to come and experience the space and the community would be the last two weeks of September because we're opening the door September 15th. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when they arrive, one of the things that set the hubs across the world apart from all other spaces is that it's hosted so that we would have two community hosts there all the time and their only goal is to serve the members, connect them with people, show them where things are, tell them how to room rental works, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So they would meet with the host and get a tour and find out what their needs are. And usually they have the board review the applicant for a membership, and each of the board members recommends one or two people for that applicant to connect with for coffee or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, a real curated experience in that way. And then they would see what our programming is, and they'd say, oh, I want to go to the members' lunch and the other Pau and go to that training for business development. Or, you know, So they'd see where they want to connect and sign up for events. Um, and then they'd find their space that they want to work that day and, and try it out and try out different meeting rooms. Um, We also have three free small rooms to make Skype and and phone calls, etc. So they get to see how their day flows um, with being there
0: so so the, um, the the free option is for what anybody to come in and, and anyone uh, for take, the last two take, weeks uh-huh. and I
4: should emphasize that in most impact hubs not everyone is socially environmentally focused about 50 percent of the members are mm-hmm. and they're purposely trying to cross-pollinate all different sectors of the economy so that everyone can find ways to work together um, you know maybe you're a web developer that's never thought about doing a green company but a green company needs a web to develop so um, you know you don't have to be doing a really you know, a solar sales job in order to to be able to come to the Impact hub if everyone is invited.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm, no. I'm, uh, I'm wondering what the, the model is. I mean, imagine, I would imagine that there's memberships mm-hmm. and that there's probably fees or something? I mean, yes. how does this, the Impact Hub sustain itself while it's creating this great environment?
4: Absolutely. And because there are so many, and we ha- we are a networked group, and we have sister hubs at Seattle and San Francisco, so we have direct mentorship there. We're able to tap into all the different scenarios around the world and mm-hmm. find out what matches us best. But the, the template is um, membership. Mm-hmm. And for the first four months that we're open, so October, November, December, January, it's going to be $30 a month for a full membership. And that includes free tea and coffee, so it's cheaper than getting Did I a hear coffee.
0: 30 dollars yes. not yes. like 30 $1,000, no, $30. Yeah,
4: <laughs> No, we decided that we wanted to have a low barrier of entry for the first four months mm-hmm. in order for everyone to experience it. Then the next four months, it'll be $100 a month, mm-hmm. and the next four months, it'll be $200 a month, and that's market level. So we're ramping okay. up to market level, I see, I see. which is the same as Box Jelly, et cetera, who we're very close with and working in collaboration with to make sure we grow the ecosystem, mm-hmm. not compete with each other. So mm-hmm. we're growing to the market value that they've set.
0: Now, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Uh, what does it take to get this thing off the ground? I mean, is it something that you're... <laughs> You're sort of like having to Mm. pay out of your pocket or, I mean, Mm. where do you get the sort of the... The startup capital to get something like this off the ground. Sweat equity oh, with sweat a equity. lot of spread amongst a lot of people. I see, I see Brandon smiling.
4: Yeah, big team. Big team. Big team. Big team. And each person owns a different component. Like Brandon is our IT specialist. You know, he's making sure that our website and our um, room and membership management software is tight. And then other people are doing the programming and other persons planning our launch party. So everyone and all of these people are excellent at what they do. I mean, oh. we can ask for a more experienced professional team. And so it's an extra five to ten hours a week for each person. But spread mm. amongst everyone, we're rocking it, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Matt, what's what's your experience been as part of this sweating team <laughs> <laughs> to help making this happen?
5: Well, I actually just got assigned earlier this afternoon before <laughs> we came here as the, uh, I believe, asset manager, which means I have a pickup truck, so I get to drive around <laughs> and pick up any kind of supplies or. Tables or not, you know, anything to the uh, actually take it to the space.
0: Are you not in in food delivery or anything? I mean, you,
4: you, you don't table delivery. <laughs>
5: yeah, <laughs> we got to start with the tables first, and table then we'll service. then we'll work into the food.
4: If you want to bring food and beer, you can though. So yeah, now you guys home just home. added more to my <laughs> list. Well, I think that's Thank a you.
5: fair
1: question. I mean, this is sort of a ground uh, grassroots mm-hmm. um, project. So, um, what are the things that are your greatest needs right now?
4: Mm, that's a great question. Yeah, we have a really amazing wish list. Um, we're actually looking for f- uh, ten founding. Um, companies to be our founding members, and we are wanting to ha- sell them four memberships, four year long memberships, in exchange for a $5,000 um, donation. And it actually is cheaper than four memberships to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and, you know, there's Manoa Innovation Center, for example, they are stepping forward to do that, and they're going to get a thousand day passes for anyone from MIC to be able to go down to ProtoHub and use it. So it's a very good trade for them. And from that, we're going to buy our Herman Miller chairs because mm-hmm. we want to have really good chairs. So that's oh, sure chairs is our first thing <laughs> I mean yeah. uh,
0: you know just talking to you now I can't see anybody refusing you <laughs> on a $5,000 investment
4: <laughs> they'd be a, a, a 10 member founding circle that would give us the start of capital to get everything we need and so what we really need are tables um, projectors uh, we want to uh, lockers mm-hmm. so that if people can pay $10 a month or something to keep their laptop if they want to go down to bevy mm-hmm. and have a cocktail you know don't
6: forget so, about the coffee
4: yeah oh yes and we're looking for a coffee partner we're talking to Kona because we're going to always Always offer free um, coffee and tea, and we'd love to do that. Local and organic, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: Okay, yeah, so when, if somebody wants to invest, where do they contact? How do they contact?
4: You know, the best um, best way for everyone to interact with us is on our Facebook page, Impact Hub Honolulu. Mm-hmm. And just direct message to to the, the Facebook page. And then I get all of those messages. And I can add you to our email list. I can talk to you about collaborative spaces. I can set up a one-on-one meeting with you even before we open. Um, and we can definitely talk sponsorships. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're
1: absolutely going to keep track of this project. Brandon, if someone wants to learn more about Street
6: Grinds, your events, and your upcoming institute, where can they go? always go to www.streetgrinds with the .com.
1: Okay. Fantastic. And, and Matt, uh, Matt I, I I'm interested in this box. Tell me about it. Where can I go?
6: All right, so you can be part of the uh, the cool kids. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so
5: yeah, oahufresh.com.
0: Cool. Oshana Trevena uh, is the owner of Smart Sustainability Hawaii LLC. Brandon SQ is the founder of Eat the Streets and Night Market in Kaka'ako and Matt Johnson who founded, he, he has founded
1: Oahu Fresh, and we want to thank you all for joining us today.
6: Thank you, guys. It was great. Thanks, guys. Uh,
5: hello,
1: And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about the addiction we call ingress.
0: And if you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at bitemarks.org or... You can find us
1: on Twitter, I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's
0: a band called Sugar Stems and a song called Greatest Pretender. Everybody, stay safe and dry, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.